0: You're tuning in to Parenting Naked, a collaborative to help navigate the celebrations and challenges of parenting.
1: (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Parenting Naked Collaborative. This is Misty White. Today I was thinking about parent guilt, parental guilt. I'm not sure if dads experience it as much as moms do, just because I'm not a dad, so I don't know. Or if um, a two-mommy household or a two-daddy household experiences the guilt that um, moms feel. At times, we have to do self-care. We really do when we feel overwhelmed or we just feel like we need to recharge our battery. And we have to put some of our parenting duties aside. And for me, I do feel guilty when I say okay I have to you know tell my kids no they can't go to you know play at the park that day because mommy has to clean the house and mommy has to you know take care of herself and take a bath or read a book or just watch mindless TV to reboot and uh, for me I, I feel guilt around that I feel when they're disappointed that I've disappointed them because I need to take care of me, and I often use the analogy and um, in therapy, and the analogy is, you know, when you're on the airplane and the flight attendants are telling you if the plane is going down or you need oxygen and the oxygen mask comes down, you have to put it on first. You have to take care of you first so then you can help take care of others more effectively and more efficiently. And a lot of people, including myself, think, oh my God, that's so selfish because I need to be leaning over and putting that on my child or putting it on other people. But the truth of the matter is, if you're not getting oxygen and you're not breathing, you can't be effective. You can't be your full self to your children, to your spouse, to your work, to your friends. You have to reboot but how do you reboot when you feel guilty? I think that's the challenge of parenting, one of of the many challenges of parenting. Um, There was just a recent incident uh, with my spouse and I where I had planned a long weekend, and it was a girls weekend, and I rarely, rarely plan weekends like that because I feel guilty. (laughs) I feel guilty because I'm gonna miss my kids' sports that weekend or just time with them over the weekend. And I think about the broader picture. Will they even remember this weekend in a year? Will they remember that, oh, mom wasn't at that game? Probably not. Probably not. But I was getting ready for work and my husband and I were talking about this opportunity that our children have to go sing at the Rockies game. And it falls on a Sunday that I am supposed to be at my ladies weekend. And I said to my husband, my first instinct is to say no. My first instinct is to say no because I need to take care of me. And jokingly, he says under his breath, selfish. And it just destroyed me. It destroyed me because I already feel this way I already feel this guilt and like I'm not good enough and my my ability to be there for the kids or provide them with experiences that may be fun for them they they would remember for a lifetime going to the Rockies game and singing on the field right like that's a pretty big event. And I just got upset, and my husband looked at me and said, Why are you getting so upset? I was joking. Well, I don't think that he would joke if he knew the gravity of what that word means to a mom. Selfish. Selfish. When you do everything that really indicates that that is just so not the truth. Um, You know, but his intent was not to be mean. His intent was to just joke about it. Um, But, you know, we all have guilt. We all feel guilt about something. And, you know, other people's guilt lies in other places when it comes to parenting. And, you know, I'd be curious to know where you feel like your guilt lies and, and what do you do with it? What do you do with that guilt? How do you work through it? I'm currently still working through that feeling of guilt and trying to put it aside. I'm trying to put it aside and acknowledge it and say, look, it, in order for me to be an effective parent and an effect, effective wife um, and just individual, I have to reboot. I have to think about myself. And if people look at that as being selfish, then I guess that's on them and they're projecting their thoughts onto me. And I can acknowledge it and witness it and say, I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to hold it. And I'm going to go have a girls weekend and I'm going to enjoy my time. And if my husband would like to take uh, his time away from his planned camping trip to take the kids uh, to the Rockies game, I think that that would be fine if he so chooses. Um, But for me, I'm going to have to choose me and put that guilt aside and say, I'm gonna make it up to them in a different way, and maybe it's not gonna be that big. But I'm also hoping to teach them a bigger lesson, and the bigger lesson is everybody has to do self-care. Everybody has to find a balance, and sometimes that balance is setting boundaries and setting limits and possibly disappointing other people who want you to do something or expect you to be doing something. But if we can't take care of us effectively, how can we manage to take care of other people effectively? If we're not happy because we're overwhelmed, how are we going to try to provide happiness to other people? So... My hope for all of you mamas out there and dads or parents that you really prioritize self-care. You know, even if it's once a month, it's important. Um, You know, I always encourage my clients to try to do something every day, at least for five minutes or 30 minutes. Go take a walk. Go talk to a friend. Go watch a bad TV show or an an entertaining TV show just to stop. Breathe and relax and get centered. Meditation, yoga, hobbies that make you happy, sitting outside in the sun, sitting outside on your porch with a favorite book or a glass of wine, anything like that can be considered self-care. But as a parent, it can be energy depleting to be taking care of your children and making sure that they're safe and fed and all of their hierarchical needs are being met, um, you know, and it takes a toll. It takes a toll on our bodies, on our minds, on our spirits. Um, So I want you to challenge yourself to do self-care and put your guilt aside as much as you can. And I would be curious, Gretchen and Danan, about what kinds of things that you feel guilty about and how do you combat that and what do you do? Or do you not feel guilty about those things? Because I would absolutely love to hear how you do that and get some inspiration or motivation to look at things in a different perspective. Okay. Hi, uh, welcome to Parenting Naked. We've got Danon and Gretchen here to join in the conversation about mom guilt. And I also have little Memphis here. So if you hear a little kiddo, Um, He's here to join in the conversation as well. (laughs) So, Misty, thanks for sharing what you did with your guilt regarding mom
2: guilt. Um, Gretchen, what do you think?
0: Um, Well, I definitely can relate, and I found what you talked about really relatable. Um, It made me think about issues that I've had mom guilt over, um, and also... Made me kind of think about the concept of guilt in general um I've been reading brene Brown, and so it's I've definitely been thinking about shame and guilt and how that influences us. um I think everybody's impacted by it, but it seems especially a woman's issue so um uh, I think guilt when we consider why we're feeling guilty um looking at guilt as guilt is some a feeling that you should have when you've actually done something wrong right. um if you're a you know a um if you're a conscious person- conscientious person um and shame shame is a lot of what brene Brown has researched, and she talks about like how shame is really kind of the underlying thing um that exists. Um so I I don't know for myself I think I've felt guilty and still feel guilty about a number of things. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the judgment that we imagine or actually experience from other women. Um, I think for mm-hmm. myself a yeah. lot of my guilt centers around comparison. Yep. Um, when I hear like, oh yeah, Sophie does this and that and that I immediately, instead of being like, that's awesome for Sophie, I think about, oh my God, am I doing enough for my kids? Like that's the immediate, there's actually like not even a pause between that thought process. Like I immediately start evaluating, self-evaluating what I'm doing, whether I'm doing enough. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. Um, One thing, I mean, not to cut you off or anything, but along with that of comparison, I find myself feeling really jealous and getting angry of like, it must be nice that they can do that, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe even resentful of mm-hmm. like, it must be nice to not have to work full time and to have like a nanny or to be able to go take a three hour jog and meet mommies in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I feel guilty for feeling jealous about is that. that Zoe? Oh, that is so. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's so many complex emotions with that mm-hmm. and I appreciate Brene Brown saying, you know, it's not really guilt, it's the shame Mm -hmm. around it. And I feel like they're just so interconnected with so many other big emotions as well.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I um, pulled up a little section in the book I've been reading. This one's, um, I thought it was just me, which is, I think she has many books. This is just um, the one I started with. And she talks about... um, how, let's see, get to the right page. She says, "Um, in her interviews with women, I heard over and over how women constantly feel judged by other women when it comes to appearance and motherhood. Um, on the other hand, every man I interviewed talked about how other men are constantly sizing up each other's levels of financial success, intellect, and physical strength as measures of power. Sometimes when suffocating under our culture's rigid gender ideals, which is totally something we've talked about in here. Mm-hmm we mistakenly believe we can escape the pressure by judging others look compared to her i'm doing great right which that's like so resonated with me i think i definitely as much as i like compare when i think other people are doing better i also notice when i see other women struggling and i get like sickeningly i get like this like satisfaction like i'm like oh thank god it's not just me just yeah (laughs) Oh, she's blowing it, too. Like, right. like, look, her kid's having a tantrum getting into the car, mm-hmm. so that made me feel better. Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of a... Um, I don't know if we all do that, but yeah. I, I have those moments, for sure.
1: Well, I remember just feeling so judgmental going to the store before I had children, watching those kids out of control and looking at their parents going, God, get, get, get control of your children, right? right? And now I'm that mom, right, when my kids are, like, screaming and yelling, and I feel embarrassed like oh my gosh one that i was so judgmental and then two like how do you take care of three children that all are like grabbing at toys and other things without mm-hmm. screaming and crying mm-hmm. and then seeing another mom in the exile, kind of going through the same thing like thank god right thank yeah. god we're not alone in that yeah, yeah.
0: but yet mm-hmm. we don't reach out to those other women mm-hmm. and connect around those issues because we feel Mommy. like if we point out the fact that they're struggling it's going to bring sh- their shame up
2: Right. Like, they, yeah. no, no,
0: like, please nobody notice this is happening to yeah. me, even though like when we see it happening to somebody else, we're like, oh, thank goodness. Like, yeah, It's mm-hmm. not just me, but yet it's not a connection point because we, and she talks more about this too, about shame, fear, and anxiety are mm-hmm. major incubators of judgment. So yeah. because of our own fears and anxiety... That judgment exists, and it and we don't, like, actually connect with one another around the places where we really could because of fear and anxiety. Right. Like, we don't want to acknowledge it. Well, I think
1: that's where the isolation comes in, right? When we're starting to feel depressed, and it's easier to isolate Mm -hmm. and not connect with people because we do Mm -hmm. feel that shame or that embarrassment. So then we're just sitting in it, right? And then we hope our spouse will help out. We hope that they're mind readers and that they can come in and be like, oh, I see that you're you know feeling this way how can I help but Mm -hmm. I think they just think we're being grumpy or we're being lazy or like they just want to leave us alone like they're going through their thing so I'm gonna go watch football or go to the bathroom for 45 minutes on my phone
2: (laughs) (laughs) hide hide away nobody will know for me I'm removed from that because my kids are now on the older side but um to kind of piggyback off of what you guys were talking about with the temper tantrums in the grocery store or at a restaurant or, you know, you've got your kids Mm -hmm. and it just seems everything's falling apart when it shouldn't be. I remember, like you said, Misty, prior to those days of being a mom with young children feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that parent doesn't have their child more under control, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to then going through that phase thinking, yeah, well, too bad, I'm leaving my kid on the floor at the grocery store screaming and crying, and I'm telling him I'm walking to the car. He's going to have to get a grip, Mm -hmm. get up, walk to the car, or he can sit there and everyone can stare at him. And I I do remember feeling like someone is probably judging me, Mm -hmm. but in the end I needed to (laughs) give my child an opportunity to learn a lesson.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then now kind of being removed from those situations, mm-hmm. uh, or being removed from having to go through that personally, cause my kids don't do that anymore to really empathizing with parents now. Um, mm-hmm. part of me thinks, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm not in that stage anymore with my children, mm-hmm. but I don't really feel like I don't feel like it's shameful of them. When I see parents trying to mimic kind of the same role I did with my kids having those temper tantrums, I now have more compassion for them. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is having been removed from those years so long, uh, I can see it with just a little bit different um, perspective Mm -hmm. now. And really as an older parent feeling like, we should, we should offer some support. I always do try to give that mom or dad a glance of like sympathy, you know, Mm -hmm. not that I want to jump in and rescue and, Mm -hmm. and help them through that situation. We all have to learn it on our own, Mm -hmm. but I do hope that just that compassion or warm, sincere gesture Mm -hmm. kind Mm -hmm. of did something. But the good Mm -hmm. news is being removed Mm -hmm. from it now, my kids Mm -hmm. are fine. If I left my kids Mm -hmm. screaming on the grocery store Mm -hmm. floor Mm -hmm. or you know, we owned our own restaurants. Um, If I left one of them screaming outside the back door in the alley, oh, well, they're fine. They're totally fine now. And and that guilt has gone away. There were times where, you know, somebody would confront me. The best story is my son was having a temper tantrum. He couldn't figure out how to use his transformer. Mm. <laughs> Those are so hard. I don't I know how to use transformers, <laughs> and it wasn't my toy of choice, right? Mm-hmm. So We were running our bakery for the day, real busy morning, and he had a fit and I put him outside, sat him down by the back door and said, until you get this together, until you can come in and not scream about your toy not working the way you want it to, you can sit out here and scream all day long. And we had a neighbor from behind the shop come over and confront me why my son was outside screaming. And I just played it off saying, yeah, he's outside screaming. He, It's not appropriate for him to be in here. It's making everybody else uncomfortable. And what he's screaming about is irrational. He has to just take a moment to figure that out. I can't figure it out for him. And? Sure, there was a little guilt and shame on my part because I had to be confronted by somebody, but she couldn't relate to it. Uh. And in the end, Carter is now 16 years old, and we laugh about it. He remembers having to sit outside <laughs> and scream his head off and... Act like a raving lunatic. He was five. He's fine. 11 mm-hmm. years later, he's fine. And, and the guilt and shame did go away. I don't feel guilty. I feel like that was the
0: best thing I could have done for Carter at that mm-hmm. moment. It was just the way it had to be. So I just want to go back to this woman. Yeah. Like, what was her complaint? Was it with your parenting choice or was it with he was disrupting her peace in her backyard? Her
2: complaint was, did you know your son was out back screaming his head off?
1: Oh, as if like you had no idea. As if I
2: didn't know where Carter was or I could have been putting him in a dangerous position. And I told her, no one's going to take him. He's screaming his head off. I'm not worried about it. If yeah. someone takes him, they're going to return him in two seconds. <laughs> they, they will not want to have that in their car for more than I two seconds. That. I love that. But at the moment, you just have to go with what your gut's saying and sure I had to run a business and there's a lot of guilt in raising your kids in a family business. But um, in hindsight, here, far removed from those years, we're okay. The kids Mm -hmm. are fine. And in fact, I think, you know, it taught them hopefully a lesson for when they go into parenting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't. Just because your kid's screaming, you can't let them get what they want because they're screaming.
0: No. And
2: yeah. sure, we live in a big city. There are lots of people around. We, Someone is going to see the way we're parenting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it or not, there was nothing abusive about what we were doing with Carter by putting no. him outside saying, scream it out. You're not doing that in here. It's disruptive. What you're screaming about is obnoxious, and you deal with it. You work this out until you feel good about it. You have to stay here. You can come back in when you feel better about it. Any indicators that this woman had kids of her own? You know, she was very old. Okay. So I'm assuming she could have been in her mid-60s. Uh-huh. So very far mm-hmm. removed from okay. having her own children and maybe they or did raising it different children. I mean, they could have. Uh, for all we know, maybe they just smacked him on the butt and said, you know, stop crying. I don't know. Stop screaming. Stop yeah. crying. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know if she had grandchildren or anything like that, but it definitely, she was upset
0: that I left him out there. And Mm -hmm. did she accept your answer and walk away or did she like want to,
2: well, I didn't accept her confrontation and I walked away. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) Good. good. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to tolerate it. Yeah. It was Mm -hmm. just something that I had to deal with in the moment. And Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, you know, just quickly kind of talking about those years of, Running a business or having to put work before children, there is that balance. And I think we all go back and forth on, oh, my gosh, I feel so guilty. My weekend has been devoted to work and I haven't seen my kids or we're all in the car together this weekend because of work and sorry I'm gonna have to put them in front of some kind of technology make them happy we're gonna eat on the run that means we're eating fast food you know all those things do produce guilt but then being removed from that you know here really about 10 years later everyone's fine and we all look at it as we coped we handled it the best we could. Mm -hmm. It was a healthy approach. It wasn't an abusive approach and it it is just the way it is.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's uh, stages of guilt. Before we started recording, Gretchen was talking about feeling guilty, um, even when she just got pregnant. Um, and you know, I, I think there might be even guilt even going into, like getting pregnant, like, are you doing it in the right way? Are you taking your prenatal vitamins? Are you in a healthy place? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think there's different stages of guilt and different levels of guilt. Um, And the hope with with parenting naked is for those who just had a baby, like within that first um year two years where postpartum depression and anxiety are mm-hmm. um at its peak mm-hmm. the heaviest the hardest that's where women are killing themselves they're committing suicide mm-hmm. and it is in relation to that anxiety that guilt feeling like i'm not good enough or i'm not providing for my baby or my baby's going to get hurt somehow or i'm going to hurt my baby and it goes to that and us talking about the you know like are you noticing You know, our our spouse is noticing, our family is noticing, and Mm -hmm. also saying it gets better. Mm -hmm. It gets better. Now, the guilt changes. It evolves. Absolutely. (laughs) It evolves. Mm But um, I think it's pretty high when you know that you're the lifeline to your infants, that you Mm -hmm. literally have their little lives in your hands. And that's Mm -hmm. a huge responsibility. Mm -hmm. And maybe once that baby comes, you're like, oh, my God, I shouldn't have done this. Because you don't feel capable, right? You don't feel capable, and then you isolate, and then the pattern begins. And yeah, sure. It can be devastating.
2: I can talk a little bit about that because it's been so many years. Um, One specific moment with raising Andrew, he's my first feeling a lot of guilt over breastfeeding
0: those
2: those were the first few days first Mm -hmm. few weeks Mm -hmm. into for me just the first couple months and then I had to stop breastfeeding after a few months but in the middle of the night actually hating that need so much (laughs) I really regretted being up in the middle of the night breastfeeding him and that guilt set in and this was probably the same time as kind of the onset of postnate or uh, postpartum depression. And so um, I would say there was a lot of guilt around. I hate this situation. I wish I wasn't up, sleepy eyed, half aware of what was going on in my life, breastfeeding this child. I never knew I was gonna be needed this much and then that probably was just a tailspin into those darker mo- moments of being a mom and and going into kind of a postpartum depression stage. Um, but past that, you know, hindsight, again, looking at it as it was a really short term problem. And um, I I had the strength to ask for help, to talk to my husband, to talk to some friends who were in similar situations. And so we could kind of see that fog lift with the postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. and and you go from kind of being miserable about certain aspects of raising a baby to really being able to find joy in it.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: But the only way for me was to be able to talk about it candidly, to Mm -hmm. tell people I was struggling, Mm -hmm. to ask for help. Good for you. Yeah. To you know, but there, I think it's a normal thing for us, especially. I don't know. I'm assuming for our firstborn, we don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um and now you know, he's almost 18 and he he's fine. Mm-hmm. He's doing good. So what what I have to offer for all of you moms out there that are struggling with those kinds of moments It lifts, it goes away, it's a joyful time, you raise your child, and they will never recall how much you hated breastfeeding. (laughs) They're not going to know
1: that. Or hated being up in the middle of the night, or... Yes. Yeah, you know, feeling... And feeling
2: lonely in the middle of the night, thinking, Um, well, my husband's asleep, he mm -hmm. doesn't even know how painful this was all night long. I hardly Mm -hmm. got any sleep, but Mm -hmm. those days go away, it does get better, you... My advice is don't live in isolation. Talk about it. Mm -hmm. It was a mutual decision for the most part to have a baby. You decided on breastfeeding or you decided on how, when, where, why you were going to raise your child. So keep that conversation open Mm
0: -hmm.
2: as much as you can. And if you have a spouse that's not going to be able to support, then talk to a grandmother talk mm-hmm. to a mom an aunt a friend somebody from your community that you can trust just to mm-hmm. lean on for some support but yeah it is easy to isolate yeah yeah it's, it's very easy too to isolate.
0: shall pass right mm-hmm. yeah <sighs> yeah mm-hmm. I'm I think it, I think that isolation comes out of uh anxiety and fear over That vulnerability of admitting, like I think there's a shame piece about like I'm not loving this. Yeah,
2: Mm -hmm. like
0: to admit that I'm not loving this. I know I should be so grateful for this little life in my hands, and I should be just overflowing, right? The books with excitement and and love and all of this stuff, and when that is not what Mm -hmm. you're feeling, like it's shameful to admit that. Yeah. Yeah, and I. I, my husband is so supportive and wonderful in so many ways, but I think around this issue with postpartum, which, it, interestingly, I didn't have with my first, but I did with my second, couldn't quite relate. He couldn't relate, right? So he was he was empathetic, but he didn't get it. And mm-hmm. I think there's something to people getting it. And a lot of times when you start to try to make that process of vulnerability and you try to maybe you know i'm picturing like maybe i could have said something to my mother-in-law i think often people see that fear see that anxiety and they want to turn away from it yeah so they say well but it's gonna it's not gonna last forever right which is not meeting you with empathy which is not meeting you with support it's a okay but let's shift focus
2: i'm uncomfortable let's close that door
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. And like that still happens around issues of parenting, sure. Well, at least she's almost 5 or yeah. Well, soon you'll be out of diapers or, you know, like every time, not every time. Often when you try to connect with another woman mm-hmm. around these issues, this is the stuff that's hard. People want to say, "Yeah, but." Yep. Yeah. Please stop saying, "Yeah, but." Yeah. If I can if I can <laughs> offer advice to people like if you're seeking support Maybe i I don't know, Danon, is there a way that you could like you had that people respond to you in a way that was supportive what right What do you think that they did that helped you um
2: for me, I think that I was okay showing my most vulnerable side and not trying to hide behind a facade that it is okay, I've got it all under control, and this is beautiful um and social media was very, very limited when I was raising the kids. And so we didn't have all these standards to compare ourselves to. Being in the arena of therapy and self-help and all of that, I think it made it very easy for me to know in order to get my needs met, I needed to be vulnerable and tell somebody how I truly felt, how what I was really going through.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's hard. And I don't know how you can train someone or encourage somebody to do that. But to say to a friend, I remember one time I kept saying, no, you know, the baby, he's not feeling well. We can't come out for a walk today or we can't meet you at the um, mall to play in the kid land today. And it was more, I was so depressed I didn't want to leave the house. Mm -hmm. I found within myself that vulnerability to say to my friend, I'm really struggling to get out of the house today. I don't know how to, to... move I'm paralyzed um and to to be lucky enough to be around friends that would reciprocate when I said something was helpful Mm -hmm. but I I think it's that shame is there shame in admitting Mm -hmm. probably so Mm
0: -hmm.
2: can you get past that I hope I would Mm -hmm. hope so because I think when you do truly tell somebody here's where I'm at and I do need I do need you Mm -hmm. then I think you're you're calling on a friend in one of your most vulnerable times of your life and I I think at that moment you know if they're your friend or if they're not your friend and who to surround yourself with so Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answered your question but um, I just think it's raw it's real it's -hmm. it's a tender subject you need support sometimes you just have to say, this is truly how I'm feeling. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know, even with your spouse, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed, but this really sucks for me Mm -hmm. and I'm at my wits end. And I remember one of those nights of breastfeeding saying, we were on the second floor saying, you know, Sean, there are times where I'm sitting here staring at that window, just thinking, my God, what if I just jump out that window? It's going to make it so much easier for me,
0: yeah.
2: right? But to actually be able to say to him so he could comprehend, okay, we, I have to be more aware. I do need to be more supportive. There's something that we need to do to come mm-hmm. back and, you know, kind of bring this all back together
1: again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where our partners really have to be mindful, right? Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully these podcasts can generate some of that conversation of mm-hmm. our partners need to step up, too. I mean, mm-hmm. we're doing so much. Mm-hmm. We're doing so much and giving so much. And we're hormonal. We just had a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to figure out what the heck we're supposed to be doing with this little thing. Yeah. Um, you're always worried that they're going to die. Like, are they breathing? Uh, like, nobody. Yeah. People don't Why?
0: talk about that. That was so much my postpartum yeah. anxiety. Like, you're just Ugh. always,
1: like, is my baby going to die? Is my I'm going to drop gonna it.
0: Yeah. I'm going to drop it carrying it yeah. down the stairs. I'm going to... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just had the weirdest, like...
1: Visions.
0: I could yeah. visualize these horrific things happening to my baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why. I think well, it was... Well, and I think... I mean, yeah. I don't know anxiety. how it was
2: when you guys were having babies, but the fear of... um sudden infant death syndrome. Yes. No one could stop talking about it. Yeah, so it not sense. only are you not sleeping because you're up every two
1: hours to breastfeed, but then you're not sleeping because you're making sure the baby's mm-hmm. breathing. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. they're quiet and they're actually sleeping and you're <laughs> yeah. poking at them, but yeah. you don't want them to wake up. Yeah. You have a little mirror making sure. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is, it is so consuming. Yeah, And so then it's, yeah, it's like, how do you relax then? It's like, you're up mm-hmm. and you're trying to keep the baby up and entertained. And then people say, well, sleep when your baby sleeps. Well, how are you supposed to sleep when you're mm-hmm. afraid they're going to die when they're sleeping? That's easy yeah. To, you know? yeah.
0: Yeah. I, it helped me to have the baby in the room with us. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was, a, yeah. I think, Adam acquiesced. But I think his preference would have been that the baby be in its own nursery. Yes. But I, it was better for me to have yeah, yeah. them right beside me. Yep. And oh, yeah, yeah, that's
1: what we did. Too. We co, uh,
0: not co slept, but mm-hmm. the baby was in the room for six yep. months for yep. both of them.
1: That's what we did too. Yeah. The mm-hmm. first week, um, the week, first week or two, we had the babies in between us in bed. Um, of course, you know, you're hypervigilant and doctors like, don't do that. You're going to suffocate your baby. I'm not a hard sleeper. So it was like I was always cognizant where they were. But then we moved into the bassinet um, for that reason. Mm-hmm. And Randall was open. Randall, I mean, Randall would have the kids sleep with us every night. Um, but, yeah, it, it it was a big relief. And yeah. when we moved them into the crib, like, I wanted all of the systems. I wanted, you know, the camera, um, monitor so we could see it in our mm-hmm. phones and we could hear everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just this hyper vigilance of like mm-hmm. having to know what they're doing. Are they sleeping? Are they okay? Mm-hmm. What was that noise? Was that a hiccup? Mm-hmm. Are they choking? We need to go in there. Like, ah, <laughs> what do we do? Yeah, mm-hmm. crazy. But making. I only I know one couple. Only one couple that the night they brought their baby home, they put them in a crib in a different room.
0: Oh, I know a few. I I, I had women tell me like, don't you, I had women tell me, okay, after you deliver that baby, you tell them to take that baby to the nursery so that you can get some sleep. And, and then when I, I was like, okay, like this, she sounds serious, like very committed to this plan (laughs) as much as you can have those nurses. Because I tell you what, when you go home after two nights in the hospital or whatever, they're not going to be there. So you, you get that sleep when you can. Well, then I found out the birthing policy, or not the birthing policy, but whatever the, like, policy the hospital mm-hmm. had. And the hospital had this policy where you in room with your baby. Yeah, in room. And I told her that, and she was like, are you sure? I'm going to call them. <sighs> like She's like, I don't know. I've never heard of that before. And I'm like, well, it's not an option. The baby's going to be with me from the beginning. Yeah. And I wouldn't have wanted it any other <laughs> way. Um, No, mm -hmm. but it's just funny. Some women are like, oh no, you, that baby sleeps in its own room, in its own crib. And I respect that too. I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, she's a mom of three. She parents well. I don't think that there's any flaw in her philosophy. It's different than mine, but, um, she was trying to look out for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's a
2: good point. We all have our own philosophies and Mm -hmm. none of them fail, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all with good intention mm-hmm. and we all you know we all have to do what we can to survive it
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's a survivable yeah. time
1: yes well it complicates things too if you and your partner are not on the same page with that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like hearing you say "Danan, that you talked to sean about you know here's how i'm feeling yeah um I never felt comfortable talking to Randall about that because he can't wrap his head around it. Like he's mm-hmm. always wanted to be a parent. So whenever the kids were um, not around or like, he never seemed frustrated until they started getting older and mm-hmm. um, started having opinions and started, you know, pushing Protesting. back. Protesting. Yes. <laughs> uh, becoming their own little selves. But my fear was Randall's judgment. If I said to him, I, I feel like I can't, be next to Zoe right now, like right. she's sucking the energy out of me, and I just can't breathe. There would have been judgment, and so that's yeah. why I kept quiet about it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And luckily, I had my mom to talk to. My sister lived with me mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the time, so I could talk to them and, and get that comfort. But there are women out there who have nobody. Nothing. Mm-hmm. They don't have a partner. They don't have parents mm-hmm. around. They don't have. Friends that are coming around to check on them. And so, um, you know, thinking about that, I really hope that people can at least find the the courage to go to an extra neighbor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And say, hey, look at, like, can you come over and just hang out with me? a mom's group. Or a mom's group, yeah. I had a neighbor come over with her crying baby once oh good and
2: I'm so I was so happy she Yay! do that women do that yeah I mean she (laughs) came over it was fairly late at night too I think she was just taking a big risk at finding anybody but her mm-hmm. child would not stop crying and she yeah. was crying and
1: the she said all I need, I need to keep is, that baby safe yeah and and I she, need
2: to set it down for a moment her husband yep. was away mm-hmm. working she said I I just need to be away from this child yeah. and so
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah that's a good point mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. just totally triggered that memory but that's great I, I felt so bad for her and I'll tell you on the receiving end of that it doesn't hurt to take care of someone's crying child oh, gosh, for two no. hours no. no it didn't Mm-mm. bother me a bit
0: No, And I mean, for any of you who have had a colic baby, Mm -hmm. August had colic Mm -hmm. so badly. Poor little baby had GERD. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, once we started, uh, I think it was Prevacid, finally. But like, I'm not kidding you, it was a living hell. Yeah, yeah. It was a living hell. And I don't remember a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Adam and I were both just, what? What? What can we do? What can Mm -hmm. we do? And there was like... You had, you were thinking like, okay, well, we've done this baby thing before the baby thing before was that the baby went to bed at six Mm -hmm. o'clock and the baby slept all night long and we could watch Netflix and we could order in dinner. Yeah. There was none of that happening. There was absolutely none of that happening. It was from 6 PM to 9 PM screaming. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We had that with Adler too. Um, I, I don't know if he had sensory issues, but the doctors were always like, no, he's like internally fine. And I remember just crying and crying Mm -hmm. and crying and not crying because I was angry with him that he just like couldn't figure out you know like you're okay mm-hmm. but I was crying because I couldn't figure out how to help him yeah
2: it's so right? heartbreaking yeah, yeah it's mm-hmm. like
1: why can't I figure this out mm-hmm. and just like rocking him so hard on my little bouncy ball my little exercise ball just bouncing so hard and Randall being like stop doing that and I'm like it's the only way he'll stop crying like oh, I'm yeah, not yeah. gonna stop doing you have
0: that. all these superstitions yeah yes yeah every little mechanism the <laughs> <Yeah>. shusher <laughs> The, the rocker, the, the car for yeah, mom's the car. glider, yeah. which she hated. I mean, yeah. you tried everything. Yeah. The car would work. The car yeah, would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then as soon as you glided in and yep. put it into park, mm-hmm. it was back on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor. Yes.
1: Oh. I, think,
2: I think that oh, brings babies. up a, a kind of guilt, too. The guilt of not being able to help your child.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And we had Carter had colic, too. I mean, yeah. it just never went away. I think he still has it (laughs) at age 16 but um yeah you know for us it was I I had to give up on what everyone else's advice was and we Mm -hmm. needed to just do what made us feel comfortable for the moment so yeah it meant not leaving him in the crib screaming and crying for hours and hours Mm -hmm. and hours because Mm -hmm. we couldn't hear it anymore Mm -hmm. it meant getting in the car going for rides whatever Mm -hmm. we could Mm -hmm. do but absolutely the guilt of i i wish you could speak adult i don't get you yeah i don't get you.
1: yeah yeah well i think there's a lot more to this conversation Mm -hmm. i think we could probably talk for hours and hours (laughs) and hours about again the stages of guilt that you go through because when school starts it's a whole nother level of guilt um you know you're not doing good enough or whatever Um, but if you do find that you're alone There are communities of therapists out there that take Medicaid, that take insurance, that have sliding scales, that really want to provide that support. It's confidential. Mm -hmm. There are perinatal and postnatal programs in your area. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can't find it, Google it, and hopefully soon we'll have our website up and going where you can find those resources as well. So you're not alone. Um, talk to a friend even if you go to the park and somebody sits next to you (laughs) talk to them just get it out because sometimes if you just let it out into the universe it feels better it feels lighter Mm -hmm. well i think too
2: you brought up before um the idea that suicide does happen and in Mm -hmm. those first couple years it's dark you're alone um don't don't hesitate to reach out to a suicide hotline if you are in a real desperate place. Mm-hmm. It, it, your life is so valuable. The yeah. baby's life is so valuable. It's a short term problem that does not need a long term solution. And mm-hmm. so,
1: and I a permanent just, solution. Yeah, a permanent.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, don't ever hesitate to call.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is go to your primary care physician, go to your OBGYN and let them know how you're feeling. There's no shame in taking an antidepressant mm-hmm. or an anti-anxiety medication, mm-hmm. exa- especially just to kind of pull you through that time. Mm-hmm. If you have a stigma about medication and think I can do this myself, I really want you to think, can you, can you do this on your own? Or would it be beneficial to go get on an SSRI just for the time being to get mm-hmm. through until you can get stabilized, get connected, and yeah. then think Feels about getting out of it. Think clearly and mm-hmm. yeah, sort things out. Yep. You're not alone. This you too know.
0: shall pass.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for listening.
2: That concludes our episode for today. Thank you for listening to Parenting Naked Collaborative. To learn more about Parenting Naked Collaborative, visit us on the web at www.parentingnaked.com or follow us on Facebook at Parenting Naked.
1: Thanks so much and have a great day.